I'm talking about uh, Advent. Um, I'll just wait for a moment here. There we go. All right, so we've been talking about the Advent season. Uh, we've been looking at uh, this season. Well, let's see here. There we go. I'm sorry. Uh, Advent uh, refers to, the word means coming or appearance or arrival. And so this Advent season is typically the four weeks before Christmas comes, the four Sundays before Christmas comes. It's anticipating Jesus' coming and anticipating the difference that his coming uh, makes. So over these uh, four weeks, we've talked about hope and peace and joy, and today we're going to be talking about love. Uh, certainly as citizens of the world, love is something that we are always seeking for, singing about, pursuing. As I was thinking about this message, I was reminded, maybe I'm dating myself, uh, the Beatles song, right? All you need is love, right? Love, love, all you need is love. Uh, obviously, if you're watching any Christmas movies around this time, they're all filled with love and happy endings and wonderful stories. Uh, and so we pursue love at this time. However, uh, Princess Diana was, uh, or made this quote. She said, the biggest disease the world suffers from in this day and age is the disease of people feeling unloved. The biggest disease the world suffers from in this day and age is the disease of feeling unloved. The Christmas season is certainly one of those times that shines the spotlight on this difficult quest. There's something about Christmas that inspires love, that brings it out in us, that brings out the desire and the hope. But there's something that also brings out the worst in us when it comes to love. Uh, just watch others, perhaps yourself, in holiday traffic. Or watch yourself, or others, you wouldn't do this, it's other people who do that, when there are a hundred people who want the ten highly desired electronic devices on a great sale, how much love is exhibited as a hundred people try to get to those ten items. Or how about pouncing on the last parking space that is about a mile away from the store? Or when you find yourself alone again. True love is something that's very desired and yet very elusive in our world. We all have this ideal of it. We all pursue it, uh, but we find it to be very elusive. So what we'd like to look at today is from 1 John 4, 7 to 13. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to that, but the verses are going to be up here. I'm going to read them for us. But 1 John 4, verses 7 to 13. Uh, and as I read this, uh, pay attention to the number of times that love is actually mentioned in this passage. So 1 John 4, 7 to 13. And I will read this as you follow along. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. 
In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. What we like to do from these passages or from this passage is talk about the nature of love. And if you were, I don't know if you were counting as we went through that, but if you count love and beloved, uh, it is, the word love is mentioned 15 times just in these seven verses. It's uh, quite astounding what John's focus is here on this. So we'd like to look at uh, three aspects of the nature of love. The first thing is we'd like to look at love's source. So if you look at verse, verses 7 and 8, what is the source of love? He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Love is from God. The source of love is God himself. Not only that, but if you look in verse 8, he says, Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. God is love. It's not just that love is something that God does. Love is the essence of who God is. God is love. God cannot be any different than love because that is who he is. So the source of love is God because love is from God and God is love. And if you look in verses 7 and 8, notice the connection between our ability to love and our knowledge of God our ability to love and our knowledge of God. He says there in verse 7, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. On the contrary, he says in verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God. So to the degree that we are able to love, that reflects the degree that we know who God is and we know his person and his character. And to the degree that we are not able to love, that reflects the, the lack of knowledge of who God is and his person and his character. So God is love, love is from God, and our ability to love is directly connected to how well we know this God who is love. So that's love's source. Well, what about love's character? What about the character of love? Well, let's continue on here then in verses 9 and 10. In verse 9, John goes on to say, in this is in this, the love of God was made manifest. Here's the character. This, the love of God was made manifest. It was made obvious. It was made evident to us how? That God sent. That God sent. Love from God is God taking the initiative. He took action. It was a giving. Love was God giving, God sending, God taking the initiative in the relationship. John goes on to say that God sent his only son into the world. God sent his only son. Not only did God send, not only did God take the initiative, but he sent that which was most valuable to him, that which was most precious to him, his only son, his only son. He could not send anything more valuable than that to us than his only son. And then look what John says, in this the love of God was made manifest that God sent his only son into the world, why? So that we might live through him. So God takes the initiative to send that which is most precious to him for the good 
of someone else. And that someone else happened to be us. He sent his son into the world so that we might live through him. We were dead, the Bible says. We were dead in our relationship with God. We were separated from God. And God's love extended to us where he sent his son into the world so that we might live through him. And not only that, but it says there in verse 10 that he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. I'm not going to ask you to give me a definition of that. That's a big word. We don't usually use that one too much. But that's an important word. That word propitiation refers to, and in some Bibles they translate that as the atoning sacrifice. It refers to that which gains the favor of God, the means by which our sins are forgiven. It's the penalty for our sins. Not only did Jesus come so that we might live, the way that that living happened is that he came to be the satisfaction for our sins, the appeasing of our sins, the gaining of God's favor because of our sins, paying the penalty for our sins. God extended himself to us. He gave himself to us in our need to meet that need for us. And not only that, look at the third thing that this love does. He says in verse 10, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. God did not send his love to us because we were loving him, and he said, oh, they're special people, they're nice people, let me take care of them. He sent his love to us in spite of that. Because of his love for us, he sent that which was most precious to him, his son, to us who were alienated from him, who were his enemies, who were living life separate from him because he desired to be in relationship with us. And so he sent his son to be that satisfaction for our sins, to be that penalty for our sins that we could be rightly related to him. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son. I love this, I still love this definition from Paul Tripp in his book, What Did You Expect?, this definition of love, which takes these components of love and puts them into a nice sentence. I'm always, sometimes I love it and sometimes I'm just very jealous at people who are able to take these complicated concepts and put them in simple phrases, but here it goes. And I've, this is in your note sheet, by the way. There is um, a note sheet inside the, the bulletin. This definition is in there, so if you like to take notes, it's already there for you. Love is willing self-sacrifice for the good of another that does not require reciprocation, another big word, right? It does not require being paid back. Love is, being, is giving something that you're not expecting anything in return or that the person being loved is deserving. I just love this. Love is willing self-sacrifice for the good of another that does not require reciprocation or that the person being loved is deserving. That's an important definition of love. And we ask ourselves, how am I doing at loving like that? If you're like me, maybe I'm the only one. 
who's not able to do that, but it's a very difficult thing to do. Actually, it's an impossible thing to do. At its root, love is not an abstract principle or a sentiment or an emotion. It is self-sacrificial action taken on behalf of another for their good. Love is not, what do you do for me? As I was reflecting on this, very often when I look at a situation or something or a person and say, I love you, what am I really saying? What I'm really saying is I really love what you do for me. I appreciate you because of what you give me or what benefit I get from you. It's totally the opposite of this, that it's not a self-sacrifice at all. And if there's any sacrifice, it's just because I know if I sacrifice this, I'll get something back. Uh, or that and there's something about you that's deserving of this uh, honor I'm bestowing upon you to love you. That's not what true love is at its root. True love at its root is this self-sacrificial action taken on behalf of another. Love is not what do you do for me, but what can I do for you? What can I do for you? So we looked at love's source. Love is from God because God is love. Love's character, God sent his only son to others, to us, even when we were his enemies. Well, let's look at love's power. You look at that and you say, okay, I can't do this. If that's what love is, there's no way I can do this. Well, let's continue on in this passage. In verse 11, John says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. All right, that sounds good, but I don't think I can do this. He says, No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. We are to learn to love one another as God loves us. And if we're honest, that's not something that we're able to do. But what John is saying here is that when we know God, when we are rightly related to God, God transforms our lives that we are able to love one another as God loves us. And how is that possible? It's because he has given us of his spirit who abides in us. That those of us who are part of God's family, those of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, God himself comes to live within us. And what does John say here? God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. His love is perfected. His love is brought to completion in us. There is something lacking in us that God brings to fullness in us. He gives us something that we cannot do for ourselves. We cannot love like this. We cannot love like God loved us naturally. We are naturally self-centered. We are naturally thinking of ourselves. We are naturally looking for that payback. I love you and I get something back. Or you deserve this that I'm giving to you. We don't love like God loves, but God calls us to do that. And the power to do that is because he's given us of his spirit who lives in us. And this is only for those who are true believers in Jesus Christ. This is only for those who have put their faith in him, that he died on the cross for their sins, that he was raised from the dead, that they are members of his family. God says that my spirit will live within you and that that's the power within us that enables us to do this. Well, I'd like to look at an illustration of love, and we're going to do this together. And I always find it um, amusing in a very, uh, very deep and comforting kind of way when you see God putting things together uh, 
and you'll know what I mean in just a moment, because what I'd like to do, the illustration of love we're going to use is 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 8. Those are the, those are the verses that Mary Ann read this morning. Those are the ones that she woke up with this morning. And as she started reading, I said, this is rather amazing. I guess there's something here that God wants us to hear. Uh, so anytime God tells us once, right, we should listen. When God tells us twice, all right, I'm getting the message. Uh, so God has told us these verses twice, and by the time we're done, we're going to hear them more than twice. So 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 8 uh, is this illustration of love. So we've talked about God sending his own son to us to enable us to love. He's going to transform us by his indwelling spirit. Well, let's see how that happens. So uh, this is 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 8, and I'd like us to read them together out loud. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not... Wow, what a great thing to aspire to, right? What a great thing when we look at what love is. Love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy. What I'd like us to do, though, is I'd like us to repeat those verses again together. But this time, instead of love, I'd like you to put your name in the blank. So where it says that uh, love is patient... I'm going to say David is patient. And so I'd like us all to do that. Put it, don't put my name in there. Put your name. <laughs> put your name in there as we read this. And I'd like to get a feel for what that's like. So you ready? Do you understand? So let's do this. David is patient. David is kind. David does not envy. David does not boast. David is not proud. David is not rude. David is not easily angered. David keeps no record of wrongs. David does not delight in evil, but delight in truth. David always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always... David. When I did that... I had to force myself to finish. I don't know, maybe you felt that way too. You get into this and you say, all right, this, I didn't know whether to laugh or to cry. Right? This is so laughable or this is so sad. This is not me. David is patient. Nope, I failed on the first one. David is kind. Like I said, I couldn't even finish it. Anybody else feel that as you were going through this? Yeah, I just say, oh, look, I can't even finish this because it's not true. I want to speak truth, and this is not true, right? This is where we live. Uh, like I said, it's almost impossible to read, or laugh, read this without laughing or being ashamed because this is not who we are. This is not who we are in our nature. But let's do it another way. Let's put Jesus' name in there, and let's see how that sounds. 
So here we go. Let's do it again. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy. Jesus does not boast. Jesus is not proud. Jesus is not rude. Jesus is not self-seeking. Jesus is not easily angered. Jesus keeps no record of wrongs. Jesus does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Jesus never fails. Now, how does that feel? That, that feels right, right? It fits. We're speaking truth when we say those words. Jesus is the only one who could fulfill this picture of love. He is the only one who could fulfill this picture of love because we know that we cannot, as we illustrated, as we tried to read those verses ourselves. God tells us to love others, but we cannot love others like God loves us, no matter how hard we try. For some of us, we probably even gave up trying a long time ago. Others of us keep trying, but we cannot do it. But if God calls us to love each other like that, and we can't love each other like that, how do we get there? Well, we're going to run this passage a third time. But we're going to change it this time to this. We're going to say, Jesus in me. And let's see what that sounds like. And put your name in there. Jesus in David is patient. Jesus in is kind. Jesus in does not envy. Jesus in him does not boast. Jesus in me is not easily angered. Jesus in me keeps no record of wrongs. Jesus in David does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus in David always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Jesus in David. How did that one feel? That has a very different sense to it now, doesn't it? When it's just our name in there, it's laughable. When Jesus' name is in there, we say, yes, that fits. But when we say that Jesus in me is this, that becomes hopeful that this can actually happen, that I can actually learn to love the way that God would have me to love because it's not about me, it's about Christ in me. It's about Jesus in me. When you find your life lacking in love, the answer is not trying harder to love. The answer is getting to know better the one who is love, God himself. God is love and is the one who himself lives in you, those of you who believe in him. So the key to loving better is not trying harder to love better or not trying to inspire ourselves to love better, but getting to know the one who himself is love. And as we get to know him who is love and we come face to face with that, we can admit our failures to love and we can ask for his spirit within us to change us to love like he does. So there are many times that I find myself uh, 
lacking in the love that I'm supposed to have, and so I just back up and I say, God, I am so sorry that I am not loving others the way you have loved me. I ask you to forgive me, and would you please change me? Give me a heart of love for this person or these people that I don't have for myself. It's not something that I can conjure up. It's something that God has to do in me. But because we know God loves us, we can come to him with our failures, and we can ask for his help. Well, what things should we remember about this? The Christmas story is indeed about love. I don't, you cannot, Laurel and I have been talking about this I wonder how often we tell the Christmas story and leave love out. The Christmas story is about this cute baby in the manger and shepherds and wise men. Uh, and can, can we tell, and I think we often do tell the story of Christmas without love, but the Christmas story is indeed about love. But it's not about the sentimental love of a Hallmark holiday movie or a jewelry store ad. In the midst of the holiday shopping, the holiday stress, people driving you crazy, people competing for your parking space, feeling sorry for yourself, looking for love in all the wrong places, feeling unloved, I'd like us to remember 1 John 4, the things that we looked at, and see what is the message of Christmas. The message of Christmas is that your Father loves you so much He sent His Son from heaven. Your Father loves you so much that He sent His only Son from heaven to birth in a stable, to death on the cross as payment for your sin that includes your and my failure to love. The message of Christmas is that your Father loves you so much that He sent His Son from heaven to birth in the manger, to death on the cross as payment for your sin, including... For your failure to love. What then is the meaning of Christmas? In verse 11, John says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That's the motivation that we have to love one another, not because you're worth loving. We won't comment about that. Or that I'm worth loving. It's because God loved us when we were his enemies. And he calls us to love one another the way he loved us, not expecting anything in return, not looking to see whether you're deserving of that love, but we are to love, John says, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. But what is the means for that happening? Excuse me. We're having some technical difficulties here. It's not happening, huh? Not happening. All right. So there's the message of Christmas. There is the meaning of Christmas. And there are the means of Christmas. The message is God loving us and sending his son. The message is if God so loved us, we should love one another. But the means of Christmas, that is how do we get there? And we see that in verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. God abides in us to bring to perfection his love in us. So when you see a manger scene, don't just see a little baby. 
Don't see a cute Christmas story. See the wonders of God's love for you. Your father told you he loves you. We have it in his word. But he didn't just tell us that he loves us. He didn't just tell you that he loves you. He showed you that he loves you. That baby in the manger is God's proof that he loves you. God took the initiative. God sent his only son, the most precious thing to him, to birth in a manger, to grow, to die on the cross. God told you he loves you. Then he showed you he loves you. And finally, he is committed to teaching you to love others by living within you. His desirous of transforming our lives from these lives which are so self-protective and self-focused that we can extend ourselves to others the way God extended himself to us. Not because we can learn to do that on our own, but because God perfects his love in us by his spirit that works within us. Let's close in prayer. Father, we know that truly love came down at Christmas. We know that in this we see love, that you sent to us your only Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. You sent him that we might live through him. You sent him to be the satisfaction, the penalty, the payment for our sins. And you have called us that if you have so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And so, Lord, I pray that we would realize that the source of any love that we have is truly from you because you are love. And that the only way that we can do it our, on our, in ourselves is because your spirit is within us. That we do not have it within our natural person to be able to love like you do. But we have your spirit within us. So I pray to the degree that this Christmas we fail in this act of love that we would turn to you in asking your forgiveness and your help and teach us, Lord, teach us, help us, change us to be able to love like you do. You loved us when we were, you were, we were your enemies. It's not that we loved you, but that you loved us and sent your son. And so I pray that we would be able to extend that same love to others that you have extended to us by your grace, by your strength. And as we see a Manger scene over these next few days of this holiday. May it remind us of that great love that you have extended to us. In Jesus' name, amen.